The interview you're about to hear was aired on Planet Philadelphia on Germantown Community Radio at 92.9 FM, WGGTLP Philadelphia, and gtownradio.com. Listeners, this is Kay Wood, the host of Planet Philadelphia. Linda Rosenwine, our assistant producer reporter, is also here on the phone with me today and we will be speaking with Dr. Chelsea Havren. She's an assistant professor at Montana State University and we'll be talking about something that I personally find quite interesting. It's living building materials. So hi uh, Dr. Havren, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. I was wondering if you could tell the listeners about this particular product around living building materials, I believe they're hybrid materials of some sort. Absolutely. So this project started at the University of Colorado. I was a postdoctoral research work, uh, researcher working for Will Shrubar, and on a very interdisciplinary team, we set out with this task to quickly make a living building material that had some of the characteristics we were looking for. And during that process, I, I uh, was hired as faculty at Montana State, and so some aspects at the end of the project were finished up here, but, but the project was, was uh, mostly done in Colorado. And yes, I'd love to tell you more about the material we made and what we were trying to do with it. Where would you like me to start? <laughs> Maybe with some of the basics. You know, our listeners may know about concrete and cement. They may not, but I believe that was the material you were trying to work on was to make a new type of concrete. Or were you? Maybe you were just experimenting with living building materials and a concrete-like material came out. So what we were trying to do is surmount some limitations of cement and concrete. Cement and concrete are, of course, ubiquitous, and they are very good at doing some things. You can relatively quickly make a structural material. But they have repercussions and limitations too. So for example, more than 5% of human-caused CO2 emissions every year come from just the manufacturing of cement. And a real challenge is that once you make cement and you make a structure with it, if you don't want that structure anymore or if that structure starts to fail and you, and you take it down, you can't reuse it really. You can't really make another structure. And it takes considerable human power to make cement and then make a building out of it too. And so our vision, which was funded by DARPA, who also shared in this vision of wanting to quickly make a building material that can do more for us, was, was to think about how we could use biology to help make this happen. DARPA is the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency and they are an arm of federal funding that pursues exciting, high-risk, very innovative ideas. Through their funding, we were able to ask some of our first most critical questions about, could we make a building material that is fundamentally a little bit different? Meaning, could we use biology to help give this material multiple functions? And so we looked towards microbial systems to think about how we could leverage aspects of microbial behavior to help us build and then to maintain some functionality in the material. Specifically, we looked towards cyanobacteria for, for this study, and they're photosynthetic. They're green. They're ubiquitous in our environment. 
and their nutrition is light. The byproduct of their photosynthesis, um, if there's calcium available, they can, they can precipitate calcium carbonate. So what this means is that you can promote calcium carbonate precipitation near these cells as a byproduct of their metabolism. Calcium carbonate can have many faces, but its most stable form, calcite, is the predominant component of limestone. It can be a very strong material. Some, some calcium carbonate is in cement normally, too, but in, in small quantities. But calcium carbonate has the potential to be really strong. If you had a block of, of dense calcium carbonate, you could do a lot with it. Interestingly, in nature, many limestone-like structures are at least in part precipitated by bacteria, but on geologic timescales. So we wanted to speed that up a little bit. Uh-huh. These organisms are not engineered, meaning we didn't do something to change their metabolism. This is their natural metabolism. But what we, what we can do is we can change the solutions that they live in and we can change their environment and leverage what we know about their metabolism. And the reason we care about that is that we wanted to think about one of our building materials as being kind of like an inoculum for the other ones, meaning could we have one that's rich with cells and it's in a cool storage condition and then we break it apart into two and then add more add more abiotic things like sand that's that's part of our scaffold um sand and hydrogel and have the cells grow again and now we have two where there used to be one and that would let us that would let us grow building materials really quickly so part of our first work was trying to understand these kinds of dynamics of saying okay how can we get the cells to be happy and dormant for a long time in storage, and then how, we, how can we wake them up and um, divide what we had and have the cells proliferate and do that again and do that again and do it again. Interesting. So it seems like the aim is to have it in this dormant state and take it with you and put it somewhere and have it mm-hmm. grow a structure. Yeah, that, that was kind of a thought. That might let us build in more challenging places. And one of the things I saw mentioned was that thinking these sorts of materials could be very useful if we ever leave planet Earth for other planets, like say building structures on Mars. I couldn't agree more. So one thing I've been thinking a lot about recently is that why can't we build on Mars right now and why would that be so challenging? And part of that is because Mars is resource limited, right? We have to haul bags of cement with us, also water. That's not going to work so well. So we need to be able to think about how to surmount the resource limitations and use what we have on Mars already in terms of local soils. But we could maybe bring a brick with us right, with some kind of biological inoculum. That could be a strategy. But one thing I love about the building on Mars question is that if we figure out how to build on Mars to surmount that kind of level of resource scarcity, we might be in a really good place to build on Earth, also thinking about resource scarcity in our own future. And and one of the things that Kay and I had we're thinking about is that living building materials could be living clothing materials, living, I don't know, chair materials, living whatever, right? I mean, it could be a variety of different things. Completely, completely agree. And when you look around you, there's such great inspiration from biology about how if your materials have some cellular component to them, they're able to do more. So my primary training was actually in bone. I studied the skeleton. I still study the skeleton. 
And when I think about that structure, it's made by cells, it's repaired by cells, it senses its environment by cells, it can take itself away selectively by cells. And that set of functions, if you put that into a building material, or you're right, let's say a chair in your home, et cetera, maybe we could increase the longevity of these of these things that we use and we make but hope that they last a really long time and do as much for us as they can. Oh, that's very interesting. So if you had, these days you would have a china plate. If you've got a chip on it, basically you have a chipped china plate. But if you had a plate built of a living material, it might fix the crack or chip. That's kind of the vision. We're not there yet, but wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> we, we appreciate that every day with our bodies, and other materials in nature, be, be it, you know, tree or skeletons or, or many things in between, can undergo those kinds of processses. Um, can heal themselves, yeah. Yeah, will build themselves, heal themselves, sense the environment around them. And in nature, that's, that's commonplace. And in human building materials, that's, we're not there yet. But if we move in that direction, it, it could really have a lot of opportunity for us. Hmm, very interesting. You mentioned that we're not there yet. Could you talk about where we are? Sure. 2020 is an exciting time to be doing this work because some momentum is coming together. A few groups around the country are working on this sort of idea. And one thing I'd like to mention is that the National Science Foundation just ran a big idea competition. The winners were recently announced. And one of the winning teams, the concept was engineered living materials. Oh, wow. So it really is a, a burgeoning field. Yeah. And that was not my entry. And that was, that was somebody else's entry, which is wonderful. Interesting. So a lot of people are pursuing this idea. Yeah, in different ways, though, because you can use bacteria, you can use fungi, you can do all sorts of things. And furthermore, even if you have a material that is not alive, but is substantially bio-inspired, right, in terms of the structure or how it's built, we can get closer, too. Here's an example of what I mean by that. If we look at bone and we think about what it means to build bone, a cell would basically lay down a gel around it and that would mineralize. Imitating that process and building materials, even if you didn't have the cell, could still get you closer to a structure that has some of the cool properties that, that something like the skeleton does. Ideally, you'd have the cell and it would do that too, but even that bio-inspiration is a great first step. Yeah, I'm thinking of corals. You know, dead mm -hmm. corals are still strong and have a structure and stuff. Absolutely. It's these materials in nature that I find really inspiring. They do something that confounds us as, as engineers, which is they make materials that are mostly made of something strong and brittle and have a little bit of organic component in it, which makes it tough. And that means resistant to shattering. Think about a coffee cup. It's strong. You could stand on a coffee cup if you stood on it carefully, but if you drop it to the floor, it shatters. It's not tough, right? Mm -hmm. We want our building materials to be strong and tough, and nature does a really good job of that and, and a job that it's hard for us to imitate quite yet. One of the things that was so exciting for us about our living building material is that it was really tough. Well, I guess this might be a good time to talk about what you did in your project. Sure. We wanted to make building materials that were some shape that we wanted. So first we'd find a mold that was the shape of the thing we wanted and we'd go get some sand. Concrete materials involve fine aggregate and coarse aggregate and fine aggregate is basically sand and coarse aggregate is, is larger rocks. And those together are part of really any concrete system. Then we needed some kind of scaffold 
And the scaffold would be something that our cells can live on and biomineralize it and hold together our sand until the final structure was formed. So we thought about using a hydrogel for this, which is also biomimetic, by the way. Our first attempt at this, we used gelatin. I mean, it's common in baking and cooking, and we used a commercial gelatin. And this, what we were able to melt and put our cells into, and they lived in the solution, and they mineralized it. This, combined with our sand, created this structure where when we dry that out, we get a pretty strong, tough structure, which is similarly strong to cement mortar. But once we made the structure, we had this critical decision to make. It would either be a structure that we're preserving for an inoculum, in which case we put it in a cold, humid room and keep it alive, or if we want it to be as strong as possible, we're going to dry it out. At that point, it's no longer alive. Later, if you say, I don't want this structure anymore, you could melt it down and use it as new gelatin and sand and add bacteria for the next round. So that was what the process looked like. Another thing of importance, how are people working on the issue of using the biological materials to create new materials that would lower greenhouse gases? That's a great question, and I can speak to a few of the approaches that people are using and that we're using. In our work, using photosynthetic bacteria that basically consume CO2, we have the potential to make an impact. We haven't yet done the, the full kind of life cycle analysis to mm -hmm. say how much impact. And these other components to the system, some of them require manufacturing, like a, like a hydrogel component, and we need to think about how much CO2 it costs, so to speak, to make that. But just getting away from ordinary Portland cement-type systems is a critical first step of saying, okay, how can we really lower our impact here? There are a number of groups across the country looking at alternative cement chemistries that are more sustainable, where you look towards other fundamental ingredients, even if these aren't alive, but other fundamental ingredients that don't involve some of the processing steps of the bag of cement you can go buy at the store right now. Many labs across the country are doing this and making good strides. But again, there's critical questions along the way, such as how durable are the materials and how cost-effective are the materials so that we can scale them up. One thing I read is that concrete is now made with a particular type of sand, virgin sand, and it's a diminishing resource. So is that part of what you were trying to do? Actually, yes. We are running out of sand, at least the kind of sand we can build with that seems so impossible, but we are because of the quantities of building materials that we use. So there are questions that several great labs are working on right now about what could we use that's not virgin sand, and could the microbes maybe help us with that too? Can you tell us what other things you're working on? Would love to. So one thing we're working on right now is we're trying to take on um, kind of a, a second big issue at the same time, which is which is one of our building piles of waste plastic. These plastics are building up. They're going to the landfill, um, and it's, it's not a great situation. And so one thing that my research group and my collaborators are trying to do is to uh, try to replace as much cement as we can in concrete with waste plastic. And what we've landed on is that through certain biomineralization processes, we can put more plastic in the cement. But it's very exciting because 
we might be able to uh, work on two big problems at the same time that way. A more ending question that I had was, how do we as a nation support these innovations in the for-profit sector or the non-profit sector and Mm -hmm. them being implemented? Because it's not just doing the research, but actually scaling it up and implementing it. That is such a beautiful question. In order to scale a living building material up and to see it in the real world, there are a few things we need to figure out. So one, we need to we need to continue the science. We need to understand our material uh, in all sorts of circumstances. But we also need to do an economic analysis and a very careful one because we need to understand what it costs to make alternative materials to scale, but also what it costs to not be using these materials. Again, I I call out the NSF Big Idea competition. I was just out there, and the kind of conversations that emerged about saying, okay, let's talk about what problems we're not working on right now and how to carve out funding for them and how to get a bunch of people in the same room to talk about these ideas. On the funding level, I think programs like those that are supported by DARPA are so essential for taking a risk on these big ideas. It's a lot of very interesting stuff to think about for the future. Absolutely critical, too, is to listen to the big ideas of kids and young undergraduates as well. Listen to them. Give them space to try these. Respect these ideas and encourage the success of these next generations in science and engineering. That's where a lot of this innovation can come from. And these, these challenges that we face now will only be more severe for our young generation of scientists and engineers. Okay. Well, I think this has been very interesting. So I'd like to say thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you. This is a delightful conversation. Thanks so much, Chelsea. I hope you will consider making a small monthly donation to help Planet Philadelphia continue presenting interviews on important underreported environmental topics and exploring their complexities and intersections. Thank you so much for your support. If you want to know more about Planet Philadelphia, go to planetphiladelphia.com. You could also find out more about other G-Town Radio programming by going to gtownradio.com. Thank you for listening.